This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read and recorded by Catherine Eastman. www.stanford.edu slash tilde seastman. On August 10th, 2006. Dream Days by Kenneth Graham. 1. The 21st of October. In the matter of general culture and attainments, we youngsters stood on pretty level ground. True, it was always happening that one of us would be singled out at any moment, freakishly, and without regard to his own preferences, to wrestle with the inflections of some idiotic language long rightly dead while another, from some fancied artistic tendency, which always failed to justify itself, might be told off without warning to hammer out scales and exercises, and to bedew the senseless keys with tears of weariness or of revolt. But in subjects common to either sex, and held to be necessary, even for him whose ambition soared no higher than to crack a whip in a circus ring, in geography, for instance, arithmetic, or the weary doings of kings and queens, each would have scorned to excel. And, indeed, whatever our individual gifts, a general dogged determination to shirk and to evade kept us all at much the same dead level, a level of ignorance tempered by insubordination. Fortunately, there existed a wide range of subjects, of healthier tone than those already enumerated, in which we were free to choose for ourselves, and which we would have scorned to consider education. And in these we freely followed each his own particular line, often attaining an amount of special knowledge which struck our ignorant elders as simply uncanny. For Edward, the uniforms, accoutrements, colors and mottoes of the regiments composing the british army had a special glamour in the matter of facings he was simply faultless among chevrons badges medals and stars he moved familiarly he even knew the names of most of the colonels in command and he would squander sunny hours prone on the lawn heedless of challenge from bird or beast poring over a tattered army list my own accomplishment was of another character, took, as it seemed to me, a wider and more untrammeled range. Dragoons might have swaggered in Lincoln Green, riflemen might have donned sporans over tartan trues without exciting notice or comment from me. But did you seek precise information as to the fauna of the American continent, then you had come to the right shop where and why the bison wallowed, how beaver were to be trapped and wild turkeys stalked, the grizzly and how to handle him, and the pretty pressing ways of the constrictor, in fine, the haunts and the habits of all that burrowed, strutted, roared, or wriggled between the Atlantic and the Pacific, all this knowledge I took for my province. By the others, my equipment was fully recognized. Supposing a book with a bear-hunt in it made its way into the house, 
and the atmosphere was electric with excitement. Still, it was necessary that I should first decide whether the slot had been properly described and properly followed up, ere the work could be stamped with full approval. A writer might have won fame throughout the civilized globe for his trappers and his realistic backwoods, and all went for nothing. If his pemmican were not properly compounded, I damned his achievement, and it was heard no more of. Harold was hardly old enough to possess a special subject of his own. He had his instincts, indeed, and at bird's nesting they almost amounted to prophecy. Where we others only suspected eggs, surmised possible eggs, hinted doubtfully at eggs in the neighborhood. Harold went straight for the right bush, bough, or hole, as if he carried a divining rod. But this faculty belonged to the class of mere gifts, and was not to be ranked with Edward's lore regarding facings, and mine as to the habits of prairie dogs, both gained by painful study, and extensive travel in those realms of gold, the army list, and ballantine. Selina's subject, quite unaccountably, happened to be naval history. There is no laying down rules as to subjects. You just possess them, or rather they possess you, and their genesis or protoplasm is rarely to be tracked down. Selina had never so much as seen the sea. But for that matter, neither had I ever set foot on the American continent, the byways of which I knew so intimately. And just as I, if set down without warning in the middle of the rocky mountains, would have been perfectly at home, so Selina, if a genie had dropped her suddenly on Portsmouth Hard, could have given points to most of its frequenters. From the days of Blake down to the death of Nelson, she never condescended further. Selina had taken spiritual part in every notable engagement of the British Navy, and even in the dark days when she had to pick up skirts and flee, chased by an ungallant De Reuter or Van Tromp, she was yet cheerful, in the consciousness that ere long she would be gleefully hammering the fleets of the world in the glorious times to follow. When that golden period arrived, Selina was busy indeed, and, while loving best to stand where the splinters were flying the thickest, she was also a careful and critical student of seamanship and of manoeuvre. She knew the order in which the great line of battleships moved into action, the vessels they respectively engaged, the moment when each let go its anchor, and which of them had a spring on its cable, while not understanding the phrase she carefully noted the fact. And she habitually went into an engagement on the quarter-deck of the gallant ship that reserved its fire the longest. At the time of Selina's weird seizure, I was unfortunately away from home on a loathsome visit to an aunt, and my account is therefore feebly compounded from hearsay. It was an absence I never ceased to regret, scoring it up with a sense of injury against the aunt. There was a splendid uselessness about the whole performance that specially appealed to my artistic sense, 
that it should have been Selina, too, who should break out this way. Selina, who had just become a regular subscriber to the Young Ladies' Journal, and who allowed herself to be taken out to strange teas with an air of resignation palpably assumed. This was a special joy, and served to remind me that much of this dreaded convention that was creeping over us might be, after all, only veneer. Edward also was absent, getting licked into shape at school, but to him the loss was nothing. With his stern practical bent, he wouldn't have seen any sense in it, to recall one of his favorite expressions. To Harold, however, for whom the gods had always cherished a special tenderness, it was granted not only to witness, but also, priest-like, to feed the sacred fire itself. And if at the time he paid the penalty exacted by the sordid, unimaginative ones who temporarily rule the roost, he must ever after, one feels sure, have carried inside him some of the white gladness of the acolyte who, greatly privileged, has been permitted to swing a censer at the sacring of the very mass." October was mellowing fast, and with it the year itself, full of tender hints in woodland and hedgerow, of a course well-nigh completed. From all sides that still afternoon you caught the quick breathing and sob of the runner nearing the goal. Preoccupied and possessed, Selina had strayed down the garden and out into the pasture beyond, where— on a bit of rising ground that dominated the garden on one side, and the downs, with the old coach-road on the other, she had cast herself down to chew the cud of fancy. There she was presently joined by Harold, breathless and very full of his latest grievance. "'I asked him not to,' he burst out. I said, if he'd only please wait a bit, and Edward would be back soon, and it couldn't matter to him, and the pig wouldn't mind, and Edward'd be pleased, and everybody'd be happy. But he just said he was very sorry, but Bacon didn't wait for nobody. So I told him he was a regular beast, and then I came away, and, and I believe they're doing it now. Yes, he's a beast agreed Selina absently. She had forgotten all about the pig-killing. Harold kicked away a freshly thrown-up molehill, and prodded down the hole with a stick. From the direction of Farmer Larkin's demeanour came a long-drawn note of sorrow, a thin cry and appeal, telling that the stout soul of a black Berkshire pig was already faring down the stony track to Hades. "'Do you know what day it is?' said Selina presently, in a low voice, looking far away before her. Harold did not appear to know, nor yet to care. He had laid open his mole-run for a yard or so, and was still grubbing at it absorbedly. "'It's Trafalgar Day,' went on Selina trancedly. "'Trafalgar Day! And nobody cares!' Something in her tone told Harold that he was not behaving quite becomingly. He didn't exactly know in what manner, 
Still, he abandoned his mole-hunt for a more courteous attitude of attention. "'Over there,' resumed Selina. She was gazing out in the direction of the old high-road. "'Over there the coaches used to go by. Uncle Thomas was telling me about it the other day. And the people used to watch for em coming, to tell the time by, and perhaps to get their parcels. And one morning they wouldn't be expecting anything different. One morning first there would be a cloud of dust as usual, and then the coach would come racing by, and then they would know. For the coach would be dressed in laurel, all laurel from stem to stern. And the coachman would be wearing laurel, and the guard would be wearing laurel, and then they would know, then they would know. Harold listened in respectful silence. He would much rather have been hunting the mole, who must have been a mile away by this time if he had his wits about him. But he had all the natural instincts of a gentleman, of whom it is one of the principal marks, if not the complete definition, never to show signs of being bored. Selina rose to her feet, and paced the turf restlessly, with a short quarter-deck walk. "'Why can't we do something?' she burst out presently. "'He! He did everything! Why can't we do anything for him?' "'Who did everything?' inquired Harold, meekly. It was useless wasting further longings on that mole. Like the dead, he travelled fast. "'Why, Nelson, of course,' said Selina shortly, still looking restlessly around for help or suggestion. "'But he's—he's he's dead, isn't he?' asked Harold, slightly puzzled. "'What's that got to do with it?' retorted his sister, resuming her caged lion promenade. Harold was somewhat taken aback. In the case of the pig, for instance, whose last outcry had now passed into stillness, he had considered the chapter as finally closed. Whatever innocent mirth the holidays might hold in store for Edward, that particular pig, at least, would not be a contributor." and now he was given to understand that the situation had not materially changed. He would have to revise his ideas, it seemed. Sitting up on end, he looked towards the garden for assistance in the task. Thence, even as he gazed, a tiny column of smoke rose straight up into the still air. The gardener had been sweeping that afternoon, and now an unconscious priest— was offering his sacrifice of autumn leaves to the calm-eyed goddess of changing hues and chill forebodings, who was moving slowly about the land that golden afternoon. Harold was up and off in a moment, forgetting Nelson, forgetting the pig, the mole, the larkin betrayal, and Selina's strange fever of conscience. Here was fire, real fire, to play with, and that was even better than messing with water or remodeling the plastic surface of the earth. Of all the toys the world provides for right-minded persons, the original elements rank easily the first. 
But Selina sat on where she was, her chin on her fists, and her fancies whirled and drifted here and there, in curls and eddies, along with the smoke she was watching. As the quick-footed dusk of the short October day stepped lightly over the garden, little red tongues of fire might be seen to leap and vanish in the smoke. Harold, anon staggering under armfuls of leaves, anon stoking vigorously, was discernible only at fitful intervals. It was another sort of smoke that the inner eye of Selina was looking upon, a smoke that hung in sullen banks round the masts and the hulls of the fighting ships, a smoke from beneath which came thunder and the crash and the splinter rip, the shout of the boarding party, the choking sob of the gunner stretched by his gun, a smoke from out of which at last she saw, as through a riven pall, the radiant spirit of the victor, crowned with the coronal of a perfect death, leap in full assurance up into the ether that immortals breathe. The dusk was glooming towards darkness, when she rose and moved slowly down towards the beckoning fire, something of the priestess in her stride, something of the devotee in the set purpose of her eye. The leaves were well alight by this time, and Harold had just added an old furze bush, which flamed and crackled stirringly. "'Go and get some more sticks,' ordered Selina, "'and shavings, and chunks of wood, and anything you can find. Look here, in the kitchen garden there's a pile of old pea-sticks. Fetch as many as you can carry, and then go back and bring some more.' "'But I say—' began Harold amazedly, scarce knowing his sister, and with a vision of a frenzied gardener, pea-stickless, and threatening retribution. "'Go, and fetch em quick!' shouted Selina, stamping with impatience. Harold ran off at once, true to the stern system of discipline in which he had been nurtured but his eyes were like round O's, and as he ran he talked fast to himself, in evident disorder of mind. The pea-sticks made a rare blaze, and the fire, no longer smouldering sullenly, leapt up, and began to assume the appearance of a genuine bonfire. Harold, awed into silence at first, began to jump round it with shouts of triumph. Selina looked on grimly with knitted brow. She was not yet fully satisfied. "'Can't you get any more sticks?' she said presently. "'Go and hunt about. Get some old hampers and matting and things out of the tool-house. Smash up that old cucumber-frame Edward shoved you into the day we were playing scouts and Mohicans.' Stop a bit. Hooray! I know. You come along with me. Hard by, there was a hothouse, Aunt Eliza's special pride and joy, and even grimly approved of by the gardener. At one end, in an outhouse adjoining, the necessary firing was stored, and to this sacred fuel of which we were strictly forbidden to touch a stick— 
Selina went straight. Harold followed obediently, prepared for any crime after that of the pea-sticks, but pinching himself to see if he were really awake. "'You bring some coals,' said Selina briefly, without any palaver or pro-and-con discussion. "'Here's a basket. I'll manage the faggots.' In a very few minutes there was little doubt about its being a genuine bonfire and no paltry makeshift. Selina, a minad now, hatless and tossing disordered locks, all the dross of the young lady purged out of her, stalked around the pyre of her own purloining, or prodded it with a pea-stick. And as she prodded she murmured at intervals, I knew there was something we could do. It isn't much, but still it's something. The gardener had gone home to his tea. Aunt Eliza had driven out for hers a long way off, and was not expected back till quite late. And this far end of the garden was not overlooked by any windows. So the tribute blazed on merrily unchecked. Villagers far away, catching sight of the flare, muttered something about them young devils at their tricks again, and trudged on beer-words, never a thought of what day it was, never a thought for Nelson, who preserved their honest pint-pots to be paid for in honest pence, and saved them from liters and decimal coinage. Nearer at hand, Frightened rabbits popped up and vanished with a flick of white tails. Scared birds fluttered among the branches, or sped across the glade to quieter sleeping quarters. But never a bird nor a beast gave a thought to the hero to whom they owed it that each year their little homes of horsehair, wool, or moss were safe established neath the flap of the British flag, and that game-laws, quietly permanent, made la chasse a terror only to their betters. No one seemed to know, nor to care, nor to sympathize. In all the ecstasy of her burnt offering and sacrifice, Selina stood alone. And yet not quite alone, for as the fire was roaring at its best, Certain stars stepped delicately forth on the surface of the immensity above, and peered down doubtfully, with wonder at first, then with interest, then with recognition, with a start of glad surprise. They at least knew all about it, they understood. Among them the name was a daily familiar word, his story was a part of the music to which they swung, himself was their fellow and their mate and comrade. So they peeped and winked and peeped again, and called to their laggard brothers to come quick and see. The best of life is but intoxication, and Selina who, during her brief inebriation, had lived in an ecstasy as golden as our drab existence affords, 
had to experience the inevitable bitterness of awakening sobriety, when the dying down of the flames into sullen embers coincided with the frenzied entrance of Aunt Eliza on the scene. It was not so much that she was at once and forever disrated, broke, sent before the mast, and branded as one on whom no reliance could be placed, even with Edward safe at school, and myself under the distant vigilance of an aunt, that her pocket-money was stopped indefinitely, and her new church service, the pride of her last birthday, removed from her own custody and placed under the control of a trust. She sorrowed, rather, because she had dragged poor Harold, against his better judgment, into a most horrible scrape, and, moreover, because, when the reaction had fairly set in, when the exaltation had fizzled away, and the young lady portion of her had crept timorously back to its wonted lodging, she could only see herself as a plain fool, unjustified, undeniable, without a shadow of an excuse or explanation. As for Harold, youth and a short memory made his case less pitiful than it seemed to his more sensitive sister. True, he started upstairs to his lonely cot bellowing dismally, before him a dreary future of pains and penalties sufficient to last to the crack of doom. Outside his door, however, he tumbled over Augustus the cat, and made capture of him, and at once his morning was changed into a song of triumph as he conveyed his prize into port. For Augustus, who detested above all things going to bed with little boys, was ever more knave than fool, and the trapper who was wily enough to ensnare him had achieved something notable. Augustus, when he realized that his fate was sealed and his night's lodging settled, wisely made the best of things, and listened, with a languorous air of complete comprehension, to the incoherent babble concerning pigs and heroes, moles and bonfires, which served Harold for a self-sung lullaby. Yet it may be doubted whether Augustus was one of those rare fellows who thoroughly understood. But Selina knew no more of this source of consolation than of the sympathy with which the stars were winking above her, and it was only after some sad interval of time and on a very moist pillow, that she drifted into that quaint, inconsequent country, where you may meet your own pet hero strolling down the road, and commit what hare-brained oddities you like, and everybody understands and appreciates. End of number one of Dream Days